Turn, if you would, to the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. Believe it or not, we are going to finish Romans sometime (laughs) this year. Last week we started chapter 14. We kind of started uh, about five verses into it or six verses into it. Verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And we started with a discussion about what it took to be fully convinced in our own mind. This is not just an excuse to do what you want to do. We're told in the scripture that when things really get bad, it's because people are doing what is right in their own eyes. What it means to be fully convinced is that you have studied the scripture. You have looked at the scripture dealing with the topic that you're concerned about. You've prayed about it. You've listened to the Holy Spirit. You have consulted godly friends. And the emphasis on that is godly friends. As somebody came up last week after the lesson and said, you know, they always have these issues where I want to dump my wife so I go talk to all my divorced friends to see how good it is. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Don't pick and choose based on the people that will give you the answer that you think you want to have. Go talk to the people who will tell you the truth. And as we do that, we become convinced in our own mind about what God would have us to do. But the reality is that even going through that process, there are areas that we as believers will disagree on. Namely, in certain matters of morality and behavior. Now, we also had a discussion about the fact that not everything that people question and dispute are, in fact, disputable matters. The scripture is very clear on many, many things. Those are not disputable matters. The fact that there is a scholar that says, yes, the scripture was written by human beings at some point in time who had this understanding of the world, and now our understanding has changed, therefore our understanding of the scripture has changed, therefore it doesn't really say what it looks like it says. The fact that those people exist and will dispute everything, and I do mean everything regarding the scripture, does not make everything a disputable matter. I brought up the subject last week that as much as our society disagrees with it, biblical sexual morality is not a disputable matter. Every psychologist, unbeliever, every therapist, whatever, will tell you, ah, go do whatever you want to do. Do what is right in your own eyes. It's like an article I was reading this week. It was actually an old article that I'd torn out to read later. And the lady said to her daughter, I defend your right to have just for fun sex whenever you want. And I'm going, do you know what you're saying? Do you know the implications of that? It carries consequences. So there are areas of dispute But not everything that we dispute 
is an area where the scripture doesn't speak clearly about. We're given two examples in the scripture in chapter 14. The first has to do with food. That's important because we'll continue that discussion in just a moment. With regard to food, there were two topics that we dealt with. One was the Jewish laws. I'm a Jew. I'm converted to Christianity. I still believe that I ought to practice the Jewish dietary laws. Don't eat pork, don't eat certain things, etc. The other was the fact that in the pagan communities, the animals were sacrificed to the gods and the butcher shop was next door to the temple. So they made a little money selling the meat, but that meat had been sacrificed to an idol. Does that make it unclean? If you had been brought up in that pagan community, that meat itself was dedicated to the God, and they're going, "Mm, do you really want to eat it? And the question is, is it possible for two believers to follow what they believe are the right steps and end up in a different place on some issues? And the answer is yes. And we're told that you're not to despise the other person because they are doing what they do to honor God, nor are you to look down on them. You are not to cast judgment upon them, and that will be today's lesson. So, picking up in verse 5, we all actually did 5, but we'll get into verse 6, which is where we'll start today's lesson. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I was a good Jew. I converted to Christianity. The Bible says, doesn't it, to honor the Sabbath day. What's the Sabbath day? It's Saturday. By golly, we're going to worship on Saturday. The Christian church came along and said, Sunday is the day of the resurrection. We will celebrate the resurrection. By golly, we're going to worship on Sunday. And that's fine. You worship God on Saturday, I'll worship God on Sunday, and we'll do it. Except we as human beings have this natural tendency, if you're not doing it my way, you must be wrong. I mean, let's just face it. You probably are wrong, right? Conversely, the Jews had a very detailed calendar. Certain days of the year were holy to them. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, all of these, the Passover. You know, you go live in tents for a while. I always found that one fascinating. Kids, let's go in the backyard. We're going to live in a tent. It was a sign from God to remind them about what God had done for them. It was a good thing. But now I'm a Christian. Do I still need to go live in the tent? But the reality is, God has honored all days. Maybe every day should be special. And there was this debate regarding what days were special and what days weren't. It's fascinating if you read the history about the celebration of Easter. Okay? You ever looked at the algorithm for determining when Easter is. One of my computer science textbooks used that as a definition of an algorithm. I mean, it's like the first Sunday after the equinox, before this, after this, and who knows what day. 
That's why sometimes we end up with Passover and Easter not even close to each other. Yet there are other churches who said, well, where's the Passover? It's the weekend after that. It's Easter. We're done. People were killing each other over this. The Catholic Church, which is, by the way, where we get the tradition of where Easter is, and the Greek Orthodox Church were at war with each other over, by golly, you're heretics because you don't worship Easter on the same day. Some people esteem one day better than another. Some people esteem them all the same. What do we do about it? Let's keep reading. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether you live or whether you die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. If I am going to observe a day as being special, why should I do that? You can cheat, it says, right there in the passage. To honor the Lord. I am convinced in my reading of Scripture, in my understanding, that I should celebrate the Passover. I am a believer. I was a Jew. I have converted. I believe, though, that God still speaks through us through the Passover. And at the end of the Passover, I'll go, yeah, and Jesus is that Passover. I am going to celebrate the Passover because I believe that by doing so, I honor God. Or, I came out of a pagan community. Passover doesn't mean anything to me. It has no good connotations. It has no bad connotations. It means nothing to me. I'm not going to celebrate the Passover because that's part of what Christianity put behind us. So I am going to not, not celebrate the Passover, and I'm going to do it to honor God. Here's his point. The person who keeps the day does it to honor God. The person who doesn't keep the day, does it to honor God. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What about the person who is doing something with no regard for the honor of God? There's the problem. The problem is not that one keeps the day and one doesn't. The problem is that there are those who are doing things that have no interest in honoring God. By golly, I'm going to keep Easter on this day of the year. And if you argue with me, I'm going to stone you to death because, well, you're wrong. (laughs) Our goal of 
every aspect of our lives. Did I use the word every? I meant the word every aspect of our lives is to give honor and glory to God. Once we get to that point, then the rest of it is some of its disputable matters. And you know what? That's okay. If you are doing what you do to honor God, and I am doing what I do to honor God, then we are all doing what we ought to be doing. And as we're going to see in just a moment, who am I to judge you who are God's servant and not mine? So, what does the passage say? The one who observes, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord because he gives thanks to God for the meal. Why do we say grace or give a prayer when we sit down to eat? Because we know where the food came from. God has provided us with what we need to survive And we thank God, and by thanking God, we acknowledge that he is the provider. Therefore, we are giving honor to him. Do you all ever remember the movie Shenandoah with Jimmy Stewart? Great movie. But at the beginning of the movie, he sits down with his family to bless the meal. And you remember, his wife has died. She's the spiritual leader of the family. He's going to bless the food because he told his wife he would do it. But his prayer is something along the lines, thank you for this food, although I'm not sure why, since we were the ones who had to do all the work for it. (laughs) But the book of Deuteronomy actually answers that question. Who is it that gives you the strength to do the work? God. So the fact that God requires you to work using strength that he has given you to provide your daily bread, there's no contradiction there. We thank God for what God has provided because God has provided what we need to meet our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And we're thankful. We honor God by eating. At this point, we could have a long discussion about ways of eating that don't honor God. But we're not going to go there. There's too many people in here with too many interesting diets. We're not going there. Right now, we're dealing with honoring God in whatever we do. So the person who eats everything, there's the buffet, there's the steak, there's the potatoes, there's the vegetables, there's the dessert. I'm going to enjoy it all. And while I'm enjoying it, I am going to give honor to God, both for meeting my needs and giving me a tasty dessert at the end of it. But the other person... You know that meat? It came from the idol next door. I'm going to stick with the vegetables. But you know what? I'm going to thank God for the vegetables. I'm going to thank God because God has met my need. He has provided my daily bread. He has given me what I needed to to survive. Thank you, God. I am sincere. I am honest. I am not 
angry at that person for eating the meat, and that person who eats the meat is not looking down on me because I only eat the vegetables. One gives honor to God, the other gives honor to God. Everybody is doing what they ought to do. That's the right answer, by the way. That person has become convinced that he's doing what God wants him to do. This person has become convinced that they're doing what God wants them to do. That's the way it's supposed to work. Question, does it really work that way? How many of you in that situation would be nice and then you'd go home and you'd spend the next hour discussing the shortcomings of the person (laughs) who ate or didn't eat, contrary to the truth as you understand it. How many of you would do that? We had this discussion last week. I grew up a good Baptist, which means I didn't drink. Now, as I said last week, I would contend I didn't drink because my dad believed when he was younger that to be a good athlete, you couldn't drink. My how times have changed. (laughs) So I didn't drink. So you go to a party and people are drinking. And in my youth, I sit there and go, how can they do that? Don't they know? Do you know what I do now? Nothing. I don't care. I don't care. Is it because I've become a flaming liberal in my old age? Maybe. Or maybe it's the realization that that's between them and God. Years, years ago, I went and visited a man, a friend of mine, who his wife had just had a baby, went down to the hospital, saw the baby. He and I went to have lunch afterwards, went to a Mexican food place, and he asked me, because he was very sensitive, he said, would it be okay with you if I had a beer with lunch? And I said, sure. If you can't have a beer after having a baby, Go for it. (laughs) Why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't. I still have my convictions, and if you ask me, I'll tell you what they are. I'll tell you why I do what I do. A lot of it has to do with honoring my parents, okay? But there are other reasons. But I also acknowledge the fact that my reasons may not apply to you. I am fully convinced. If you are fully convinced that it is okay for you to have wine with your dinner, go for it. Now, the scripture says don't get drunk. And I had one person last week ask, you know, where do you cross that line? Yeah, you'll know it when you cross it. (laughs) If not, ask your spouse. They'll know it. That's one of those non-question questions. You know, you're trying to evade the truth. You know what it is, right? You know, your third bottle of wine with dinner, okay? Every time I've read anything by Ernest Hemingway, I always wonder about that. You know, they sit down for lunch, and they have three bottles of wine between the two of them. How do you function for the rest of the day? 
How do you know I have to go to the bathroom for the I mean, whatever. You get the point, right? One eats to honor God. Another abstains to honor God. Everyone is honoring God. If there is a condemnation in this passage, it's for the person who eats, drinks, doesn't eat, doesn't drink, and does it all for their own honor and glory. Just go back several books to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there's a group of people known as the Pharisees. They abstained from a lot of stuff because it made them look good in the eyes of the world that they lived in. And Jesus said, you are a brood of vipers. You are whitewashed tombs. What that means is on the outside you look good, and inside there is nothing but death. Why? Because they were judging others on the basis of what they were doing and what the other person was, they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. I can create a list of behavior. I can. I could sit here and write it down. A list of behavior that you couldn't possibly keep. But I'd have to do it really cleverly because I want one that I can keep and you can't. Because you know what? Then I will look really good against my list. And that is what legalism is. God has spoken very clearly on many, many things. But there are some things, and that hates me. I mean, that, that just irritates me at times. But it is the reality. When we look at our activities in life, we need to remember that whatever it is you do, and I do mean whatever it is you do, you do it to God's glory and God's honor. Not only do you find activities that bring glory and honor to God, the activities that you do, you do with an attitude that brings glory and honor to God. Wait a minute, I've got to do, fill in the blank, and I'm not sure I can do it to God's glory. Then there's one of two problems. One, you don't have a good enough imagination to think about how you can do it to the glory of God. Or two, you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't be doing it. If you cannot do it, you just cannot do it to the glory of God, don't do it. That's what we're taught in this passage. If you are not convinced that what you're doing, you're doing to the glory of God, don't do it. Because we're going to see at the very last verse of this chapter, whatever it is you do that you don't do by faith, that for you is a sin. Hmm. Hmm. We'll get to that in just a moment. The one who observes, observes in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. The one who abstains, abstains to honor of the Lord. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself. That is an optimistic statement. That is a statement that is the goal of the Christian life. 
none of us live to ourselves. What does this mean? Well, I'm going to put together my to-do list of what I want to do tomorrow. Okay? There's some things I have to do. My employer wants me to do certain things. Shoot, oh well. Then the rest of the time, I'm going to fill with things that, what? Well, that my wife wants, no. Some of the time, I will put what I want to do. I'm going to fill my day with doing what I think is right in my own eyes. I'm going to please my employer because it helps me get the things that I want. I'm going to please my wife because it helps me get the things that I want. I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it because I'm me. I might add, that is the American way. We are a nation of people who aspire to be autonomous human beings. That means I get to choose what I want to do when I want to do it, and you can't tell me otherwise. That's our goal. That's what I put on my to-do list. And when I can't because my employer wants me to do something or my children want me to do something or my wife wants me to do something, then I kind of start getting a little irritated because I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm sure I've told you this story before, but I like it so much. When my kids were younger and we moved from the crib to the bed, kids, as kids are wont to do, have a tendency, you put them in the bed, well, now there's no side, so what do they do? They get up and start wandering, looking for something. So I had this habit. I'm not sure it's a good habit of parenting, so don't write it down. You know, this is a good thing to do. I would sing them a few songs, and then I would go sit right outside the door, and I'd read a book, and I'd hear the pitter-pattering. Get back in bed. (laughs) Pitter-pattering. Get back in bed. And pretty soon, they would figure out that I was right outside the door. And once they figured out I was right outside the door, you ready for this? I wouldn't have to be right outside the door. That's the trick, right? So one night, I'm putting one child to bed. I have no idea which one. And they are not participating correctly in the game. I'm sitting there reading my book, and I continue to hear the pitter-patter of little feet, and I tell them to go back to bed. I'm sitting there reading my book, and I'm getting irritated. Why am I getting irritated? Because I want them to go to bed so I can read my book. Now, have you caught the connection here? I'm reading my book, and I'm getting irritated because I want to read my book. But the fact that they're interfering, I think, with what I want to do, but I'm doing what I want to do. It's confusing. But the fact that I had to do it, I was constrained to do it, irritated me. Why? I was doing what I wanted to do. But that's the way our human minds work. I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. Jesus had a to-do list. And there was one thing on his to-do list. To do the will of the Father. 
What did Jesus do? He did all kinds of things. He fed thousands of people. He preached all over the place. He healed people. He walked all over the countryside. He did miracles. He did this. He did all kinds of things. But he did one thing. The will of the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, God gave us an example of how we are to live our lives. And that is not to ourselves, but to honor God. So, what are you supposed to do tomorrow? But wait, I've got to, I've got to go to work. Yeah? I've, I've got to, you know, take care of this problem. I've got to go get tires for my daughter's car. I did that yesterday. I've got to do all of these things. Yes. Do every one of them to the honor and glory of God. God made you the way you are. God knows you have to eat and sleep and poop. He knows all that stuff. Why do you think it surprises him? That he made you the way you are and you are to give honor in everything that you do. Biblically, there is no room for you as an autonomous human being to do your will and not God's. This takes us back to chapter 12 where all of this takes us back. Don't be conformed to this world. What does the world teach you? Look out for number one. That's me. What is it I want now and I want it and you'd better provide it for me. Me, me, mine, do it my way. So that we could stand up at the end of our life with Frank Sinatra and say, <laughs> I did it my way. No. That's not the way we are called to live our lives. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. That's a strange thing to add. Why did he add that? We have this basic idea that on Sunday I come to church and I do God's stuff. Okay? On Monday I go to work and I do my employer's stuff. And on Monday night I do my stuff. And there's a part of my life where I do this. I mean, it's we compartmentalize our lives. Okay? Now, this is real hard. You ready for this? You're either dead... Or you're alive. There's only two states. We're not talking severe comas. We're not talking suspended animation. We're talking normal stuff. You're either dead or you're alive. Did I tell you about what one of my daughters, one of my daughters was involved in young life? I mean, my adult daughters. And one of the kids came up to her and says, I've just got this profound thought. Did I tell you this? We were discussing it and we worked it out. Everything is either a potato or it's not a potato. And my daughter looked at her like, what? <laughs> so around our house, we say, that's not a potato. <laughs> anyway. Everything in life is either alive or it's dead. If God is the Lord of life and he's the Lord of death, what part of your life is he not the Lord of? Fill in the blank. 
Come on, I need some suggestions. There's nothing in between. You are going to live for God and die for God. Or you're not going to live for God and you're not going to die for God. From the day that you become a believer until the day God takes you home or Christ returns, you're going to live a life honoring God is what you're called to do. I don't do that very well. No, I don't. Nor do you. But that's our goal. There's only one who ever did that well. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why at the end of chapter 13 we're told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in this passage right here we're told that Jesus died and was resurrected so that he would be the Lord over that which is dead and that which is alive. That is us wherever we are, whenever we are. He is the Lord. He is the example that we are to follow. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul had some phenomenal statements elsewhere. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, to Paul, you could sit there and literally flip the coin. Die, live. In fact, I think he wanted to die. Okay? He believed in heaven. He believed that God was going to fulfill the promises that he made. He believed in the salvation that Christ had provided for him. Whatever. To live, to die, it's all the same. When I'm living, I'm going to bring honor to God. When I die, I'm going to bring honor to God. It doesn't matter which. It is interesting. The early church had an interesting problem that we don't have today because we're 2,000 years further down the path. Christ said he would return. And then believers started dying. Some of natural causes, some of very unnatural causes, stones, swords, things like that. And some of the early believers started thinking, wait a minute, Christ is going to return. I'm going to be alive. I'm going with him. But Brother Joe is dead. So Paul had to explain to them, it doesn't matter whether they're dead or alive. He's going to resurrect the dead and take them. He's going to take you if you're alive. It doesn't matter. We still have a little bit of Job in us, or, excuse me, Job's friends, who think that if we're dead, then somehow we lost the game and it doesn't work. And Paul is telling us here, no, it doesn't matter. He's Lord of the living. He's Lord of the dead. You're okay either direction. So if Brother Joe has died, he just got there quicker. It doesn't mean that he missed out on anything. Lord of life. Lord of death. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both of the dead and of the living. Here it comes. We'll wait for all the choir to leave so we can pass judgment on them. 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Pretty simple question. What does it mean to pass judgment on a brother? Now, we know, we talked about this last week, a Christian brother dumps his wife and runs off with the cute young thing. We as a church are called, are instructed to deal with that. With love, but we're supposed to deal with it. Somebody goes to him and asks him to repent. If he doesn't, he takes a brother with him. He doesn't repent. It's reported to the elders. If he doesn't repent, it's reported to the body. If he doesn't repent, you kick him out of the church. You have not made a judgment about his eternal salvation. That's between him and God. But we as a community of believers are called to judge the behavior of those within our community. Huh. Then what does this verse mean? When God has spoken, we can make judgments on the word that God has given us as a community. Where God has not spoken or he has given freedom, then we as a community are not to step in and be God where God has not already spoken. Paul is going to tell us in just a moment, if we get to it today, I know for a fact, this is Paul speaking, I know for a fact that I can eat anything I want to. End of story. It's done. I know it's true. But I am not to judge those who refrain. If God has not spoken clearly, why do you think you ought to do it in his place? You know, God's kind of fallen down on the job. God should have been a lot clearer that going to PG movies is okay, but going to PG-13 movies, you've crossed the line and you're going to hell. I've often thought of that before. You know, you line up a group of people up here. And the person at this end refrains from going to movies. I mean, they are a tool of the devil, right? You shouldn't go see any movies. And the person next to them goes to see G movies. You know, just you know, the, the good ones, right? Because we know that anything other than that, you're going to hell. The person right here only goes sees PG movies. You know, those people over there, they're legalistic. Those people over there, they're going to hell. This person over here says, sees, Pete, you see the picture, right? You just work your way down the line, and everywhere on that line, you point this way and go, you're a legalist, and you point this way and say you're going to hell. What does the scripture say? Everyone is to be convinced in their own minds. I know good, sincere, very, I mean, no question about it, believers who do not go see R-rated movies. Great. I do see R-rated movies. Now, I will tell you this. 
When I do, I know why it's rated R. Okay? I go see war movies. They have some language. They have some blood. They have some guts. But I know what I'm getting into. I know that there are certain things that I shouldn't see. And I am convinced you need to be convinced. Wherever that line is, you need to be convinced. But what's the point here? Don't stand in judgment of those who only see the PG and don't stand in judgment of those who think it's okay to watch anything that's out there. Don't do it. Because you are not the judge. But I want to be so bad. (laughs) It's so much fun. It's just, I mean, we just can't resist it. We just have this great desire to want all of you to conform to my, I mean, to me, I mean, to, oh, well, something. That's what we want to do. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Notice that we are talking about the Christian community here. Okay? The unbelieving community, they're going to do what the unbelieving community does. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? It is interesting. You can look at this both directions. The one who abstains casts judgment on the one who does. The one who does despises the one who abstains. I mean, we we just do that. You know, we either are passing judgment or we're thinking they're off the reservation. You call yourself a good Christian and you play cards. Now, it's interesting to me. We live in a day and age that I don't think anybody cares about whether you play cards or not. But there was a time. I mean, good old Baptist circle I grew up with. My dad was not a Baptist growing up. We played lots of cards. What did the Baptists do? They played 42. Now, to me, as near as I can tell, 42 is a card game played with dominoes. That's just my observation. My mother went to Baylor University. They didn't allow dancing. Now, they danced at the place across the street. Why do you pass judgment? Why do you despise those who God is using in a different way. We talked about this last week. Every one of us is on a path of maturity. Some are further along. Some aren't quite as far along. Some are further along in certain areas. To me, I generally think that's, I mean, it's not like it's a single path. I mean, in some areas you're further along, some areas you're not. That's all of us. Why do you despise the person who's not where you are in some particular area and all you're really pointing out is that you're not where you think you are in any area? Why do you judge? Why do you despise? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God 
For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We are probably in this passage not dealing with the judgment of believer and unbeliever. This is not the sheep and the goats separating it out. That's been taken care of in salvation. We're dealing with brothers here. That's not what we're talking about. But there is a judgment of our works. There's some discussion about rewards and all of that stuff. That's what we're dealing with here. The point of the passage is this. This ought to scare the bejeebers out of you. Be prepared. Every thought, every word, every deed is going to be examined by God. Years, years ago, I was teaching a lesson. It's actually out of the book of Proverbs. And we were talking about the power of the tongue. Lots of Proverbs about the power of the tongue. Just to tie it together, I quoted one of the New Testament passages that say, you will be judged for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. And I had a nice lady pop up her hand and say, oh, but that doesn't apply to us because we're under grace. He's talking here to believers. He's talking here to those who understand Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. They understand the end of chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. You are not going to lose your salvation, whether you dance or don't dance, whether you eat the meat meat sacrificed to the idol or not, whether you play car, you're not going to lose your salvation, but God is going to judge you whether whatever it is you did, you did it to the honor of God. Did you eat to the honor of God? Did you abstain to the honor of God? Great. That's the right answer. That should interest you. But that's not really the main point of this, is it? The main point of this is God is the judge, and you're not. Can I repeat that? God is the judge, and you're not. When dealing with disputable matters, why are you condemning your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when God himself has not given clear direction in that area? That's the point of the chapter. Question. At the end of the day, based on the clear understanding of this scripture, Is God going to judge the person who had the glass of wine with his beer more, a glass of wine with his dinner? (laughs) I'm mixing my metaphors here. Had the glass of wine with his dinner, or is he going to judge the person who judged the person who had the glass of wine with his dinner? 
Back to chapter 13. No, chapter 12. We're all the body. We're all in this together. We are to support each other. We are to lift up each other. We are to help each other on the path of maturity. Now, there may come a time when the person who abstains becomes convinced that it's okay to participate. And if that happens, good for them. We celebrate that. Or there may come a time where the person who participates decides that it is better to abstain. And we say, great, that's good too. But that's between them and God. Now, like I said, if you want to come ask me why I abstain, I'll tell you. I mean, I will. I have my convictions. I believe what I believe. But I'm not going to stand up here and use them as a hammer to beat anyone over the head. It's like I tell the marriage mentoring couples. One of the questions that we deal with is, have you all discussed how many children you want to have? Okay, I mean, I, I don't care, but you ought to discuss it. I have a bunch of kids, but I'm not going to go to this new couple and go, you ought to have a bunch of kids. That's between you and God and each other. The one who abstains, abstains to give honor to God. The one who participates, participates to give honor to God. God, at the end, will do the judging. We don't have to worry about that. And God will judge us more on our judgmental attitude than whether or not we played cards or drank the wine or fill in the blank with your favorite disputable matter. There will come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess to God. Sometimes we have this vague idea that we're going to show up in heaven and God's going to present some activity that we did of questionable nature and we're going to argue with him about it. (laughs) Why do we do this? Why do we have this idea? Because we see it all the time in our children. Right? No, I didn't really do that. No, I didn't. I mean, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't, I mean, you've heard it, right? A thousand times. And we think in our minds we're going to get to God and we're going to convince God that what we did was okay. My take on that, we're going to enter the presence of God and we're going to go down and that's going to be the end of the story. We are going to bow and we're not going to debate. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and his judgment will be right, and we'll go, yes. Here's the point. Start acting like that today. This verse is not meant to terrify you. You know, we joke around our house about Santa Claus. You know, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Doesn't this sound a little bit like the NSA? Doesn't this sound a little bit like Big Brother watching us? Isn't this an evil and wicked thing? God knows what you're doing. It isn't meant to terrify you. It's meant 
for you to acknowledge that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And you can acknowledge it now, or you can acknowledge it then, but you're going to acknowledge it. The passage, and we will continue it next week, the passage is about how we as a community of believers can have unity while acknowledging the fact that we have different behaviors that we follow. The unity is giving honor to God in whatever you do. Now, if you see a believer, and we'll just go ahead and say, you know, say a young, less mature believer who is doing behavior that is questionable, it is quite acceptable for you to go and ask, why do you do that? Why? You're probing to see if they have become convinced in their own mind or whether they just picked it up because that's, hey, that's what our society does. It is perfectly acceptable for you to help them down the path of maturity. But if you talk to them and they are convinced that what they're doing brings honor to God, you do not judge them and you do not despise them. Is this easy? No. Why is it not easy? Because probably the most disputable matter is what belongs on the list of disputable matters. It does. We can joke about playing cards and all that because none of us really care anymore. But we have our list. You do, I do. We're just going to hide them from each other. Whatever you do, do to the honor of God. If you eat, eat to the honor of God. Give God thanks, go for it. Enjoy the blessings that God has given you. If you can't do it to the glory of God, if I pick up that glass of wine and I know, mm, I'm just not sure, I just question whether it's right for me, I should set it back down and not participate. And I should do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, be fully convinced. Whatever you do, acknowledge the fact that God will be the judge. And whatever you do, as we'll see in next week's lesson, do it by faith. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we would show love and compassion and understanding to those around us. But even more than that, that in everything that we do, that we would give glory and honor to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.